This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. This is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey. And today we're joined again, finally, part two of the Star Trek movie discussions. Andy's back. Yay! Yay! This will now be the most downloaded episode ever. What? There, there's there's always a spike when it's like, okay, we're talking comic books, and then it's like, Andy's on, and then... <laughs> yeah. I, t- I find that very uh, surreal, but flattering. <laughs> You're a celebrity in a lot of people's eyes. Q. I, Mike and I discussed that I'm the Q. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. You're the Q of, of Standard Orbit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Q's back, and she's ready to rant. Uh, we made her watch Into Darkness before we recorded uh, the Star Trek original series movies, what, like eight weeks ago? I don't so, know. Blurs together in my mind. So uh, uh, interested to hear, now that now that all the emotions have settled down, what, what happened? They haven't. Okay. Well, that's good, too. All right. Well, first off... You started with this, with, with Star Trek 2009, didn't you? Yeah, uh, 2009 is the first Star Trek movie I ever saw. Um, it's the first Star Trek anything I ever saw. Um, it I don't know if you remember, but it was kind of a big movie. Um, and it ended up going to see it with a friend of mine um, in 2009 in the theater. And I liked it. Um, and then I kind of forgot about it. And then I went back and rewatched it after I had watched most of the original series. And I was like, oh, well, this is a different movie than I remember. Because um, it really does change the viewing experience if you've seen the original series. Um, but I hadn't seen the original series movies at that point either time. So now that I've seen the original series movies, I my perspective has changed yet again. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, I mean, that, that it's kind of interesting, but again, it was a movie which was sort of designed to be accessible to people who hadn't seen Star Trek. So, as someone who hadn't seen Star Trek, what did you think about it? Yeah, I think that they succeeded in that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anything about Star Trek. You guys know better than anyone how little I knew about Star Trek. <laughs> um, and I understood everything, and that's really the most important part. It's not like I was lost at any point. Um, so in that they definitely succeeded in that they made a movie that you could watch without knowing anything about Star Trek and still understand, which I think is, is kind of tough. So they definitely succeeded there. I enjoyed the movie. I kind of put it on the level of, you know, fun action movie, um, Mm -hmm. which now that I am more versed in Star Trek kind of makes me mad. Um, (laughs) But it was a fun movie, and I enjoyed it, and the friend I went to see it with enjoyed it, and she didn't know anything about Star Trek either, so I guess they got what they wanted, which was crossover appeal. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a lot of my friends call it Space Adventure 2009. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's very much a sci-fi action movie. Um, and it's I think it's a good one for that. I don't know if it's so much a good Star Trek movie, but like if you take the Star Trek out, it's a very solid, fun, popcorn, summer action flick. Yeah. Like the Star Trek is almost a bonus. Mm-hmm. Like we enjoy like Mike and I enjoyed it, but we got a little bit more out of it because we were familiar with Star Trek. See, this is something which I've always found to be very interesting because the thing that you hear time and again from people, especially, well, I mean, well, from Star Trek fans is, yeah, it's a good movie, but it's not a good Star Trek movie. And someone needs to explain to me exactly what the hell that means because of all the things that I hear about Star Trek 09, that's the thing that makes the least amount of sense. That, to me, makes less sense than a monster chasing Captain Kirk into a cave and having old Spock standing there waiting for him. Yeah, I mean, I think what it is is that it's... it's. Uh, I think what people mean by that is, like, Star Trek to them is more than that. It's philosophical. It's about deeper things. And they basically just were like, here, things blow up, you know? And yeah. I get that, but I I still think it's a decent movie, and I still think that it's a good it's it's a fairly decent Star Trek movie. I just don't think it reached the level of the original series movies. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that people may be misremembering what Star Trek is, <laughs> honestly, because to me this has you know uh, I mean certainly as much you know philosophical philosophically going on with it as your average Star Trek thing. You know, maybe it's not, you know, at Wrath of Khan level or Undiscovered Country level or anything like that, but to me, it definitely does have that Star Trek thing. I think what it also has in addition to that is, you know, top-notch action filmmaking, which is something that I think Star Trek fans aren't necessarily used to, you know? Because, I mean, like, when, when, when they try to do, like, top-notch action, you know, we get, well, like, Nemesis or something, which, I mean, or, or, you know, I mean, whatever. I know that you haven't seen Nemesis, but, you know, something along those lines. Let's say Star Trek V, you know, where it's like, yeah, you guys are really trying hard. You know, good for you. You get an A for effort. You know, but <laughs> but, like, here it's just like, yeah, no, we know how to make a movie in the 21st century and we're going to actually do that. You know what I mean? And it's like, we have the money to do that. We've got, you know, the, everyone who's at the top of their, their game in terms of this thing. Whereas, you know, usually Star Trek is really good at doing a different um, thing in terms of style. And, you know, then maybe they're like, well, we need to do something actiony and they get those people who are really good at that other thing to come in to try to do action. And they're like, honestly, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, similarly, I'm not necessarily sure that the um, the the JJ verse people could do, you know, something, you know, pensive like uh, measure of a man or something like that. Although I'd love to see what that would look like. But I, I mean, to me, like, there's nothing about it which says not Star Trek to me. Certainly not more so than 
something like Star Trek Five or Star Trek Three or something like that. You know, I mean, does does what I'm saying make any sense? It does. Um, I would say that Star Trek Five is is pretty philosophical. I mean, like their whole thing is like going to find God, isn't it? That's it's. Pr- I guess it's pretty philosophical, but also, I mean, the, just the fact that they're going to find God is about as non-Star Trek as you can get, right? I uh, I agree with you there. I'm just saying, like, it's not like that because the 2009 has like, like you brought up Kirk um, in the big giant snow beast thing. That's a perfect example to me. Like, why? It was like cool. We can we can make a snow beast and he can chase Kirk. I, I I mean, you don't need that. <laughs> I agree. You know, there's a lot of, I, I think Bruce Willis refers to it as chuffa. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I hope that doesn't mean something bad, but I don't know. Anyway. You've said it before and we've okay. not gotten in trouble. All right. So. We haven't got any complaints. So let's just go with it, you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, like extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, that's fine. You know, but I think that that's true of any movie. I think that's or true of, fan dance. of Star Trek. Yeah, Uhura's <laughs> fan dance. You know, that's not adding a whole lot to the story. Except for um, it's giving Uhura something to do. That's true. That's true. But, hey, this movie found plenty of stuff for Uhura to do. You know, <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that. Well, a lot more than any other Star Trek thing has, you know? I would disagree. I mean, okay, really, all, counting, they, all, really all they have her the do is Mac on Spock. Okay. What, what movie or episode <laughs> has given Uhura more to do than Star Trek 09 or Star Trek Into Darkness. Because you have to remember that she she translates, you know, that the she could speak all those different levels of Vulcan and Klingon. Which and, is definitely better than having her learn them out of books at the... Yep. It, yes, that's true. I don't know. She has that moment where she pulls a phaser on that guy, calls her old, and locks him in a closet. That's pretty cool. Um, and then she disappears true. for the rest of the movie. I know. Like she's literally not in the rest of the movie. <laughs> I, I, I know all of that. I just, it annoys me that they had this chance to give Uhura something to do. And what they gave her was a romantic arc. That annoys me. I, I'm not even mm-hmm. saying that you're wrong. I just, it, it, at least Uhura's arcs in all the other movies, with the exception of a really Five. weird, yeah, a weird out of left field, <laughs> like, okay, I guess her and Scotty are together now. Most of them are not to do with her romantic life. Um, and even, I, I don't think I would have such a problem with the fact that her entire journey in the, the movies is all about basically humanizing Spock. It's not even that she she has a romantic arc. It's that it's so one-sided. It's like specifically they gave that to her. It feels like they gave that to her because they didn't know what else to give her. And then also so they could use her as like a mirror for Spock's emotions. Well, it's kind of like, and I think that I brought this up before on the show, Mike, but uh, it the the original series movies focus on Kirk or and, and the series focuses on Kirk with with uh mccoy and spock like showing him like making making kirk a more well-rounded character but i feel like the jj movies are spock is the main character with kirk and ahura showing how spock is a well-rounded person i mean i see what you're saying i'm not necessarily sure i agree with it i mean i think that there is that element to it i would still say kirk is the main character especially in 09 
Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, the, 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 the reality of the situation, which, you know, maybe a bitter pill to swallow for some people, I don't know, is that the way that the original series was designed, the way that television was designed back then is that there were only three main characters. There was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and everyone else was filler, you know? They were essentially, you know, set dressing. And they filled roles and they said lines which needed to be said, which is why, you know, Uhura always says, hailing frequencies open, Captain, and that's it. Because that's literally all that they needed her to do in that show, in that story. And I think what people tend to do is apply um, sort of like uh, 80s and 90s and aughts um, television uh, uh uh, philosophies or or television making to that 60s show and that's not the way that shows were back then you know by the time we got to the next gen era you know troy gets an episode Worf gets an episode Worf gets like 50 episodes but you, you know what i'm saying everyone gets their moment to shine and that's not what it was about back in the 60s that's not what the original series was about and because of that those characters really didn't have anything going for them because there, there was no need. There was no place for it, really. Yeah, but you know? we're talking about 2009 now. Yeah, Right. Now we're talking about 2009. So you're taking, right, and this is another problem, okay? You're taking that 80s and 90s sensibility applied to a 60s show, which was weekly, and now you're trying to fit that back into a movie box which more closely resembles what they were doing in the 60s. If anything, they should ignore it and make these guys window dressing again. I'm talking about from a storytelling standpoint because the thing that we see happen, you haven't seen this yet, but it, I'm not spoiling anything. I mean, it's pretty obvious that they would do this. The thing that we see happen in the Next Generation movies is you've got these seven characters who now people have come to love because they have had their moments to shine. They're not just answering the phone. And now all of a sudden you've got two hours to try to cram them all in. And it's including like, Worf. Including Worf, who shouldn't even, who, sh who may or may not be there logically. And it's like, well, how are you going to do that, you know, without it feeling forced? And you can't. And I think what 09 did was, since, like what Drew was saying, it's trying to show what the character of Spock is. I mean, all of these characters. You know, even even Spock and, and Bones, to some extent, it, it were supposed to be a reflection of Kirk. So to be able to, you know, beef up this person's role, even if it means basically making them a foil for this other character, you know, I mean, that to me is perfectly fine and valid and a better use of that character than the original series. Does that make any sense? I'm not saying that it's a tremendously well-rounded character or anything, but I'm saying, like, given all the factors, I mean, what they did with, at least Uhura, I think, was really pretty solid. What they did with Chekhov, eh, maybe not so much, you know? But, you know, you know what I'm saying? I do. I just, I'm frustrated because she's the only woman. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it's, it's frustrating. That's all I'm saying. And I, I wanted her to do cool stuff. And she didn't even have to do a lot of cool stuff if they had given her one hero moment. 
because they mm-hmm. gave everybody else a hero moment. You can't deny that. She got a hero moment. What hero moment did she get in 2009? <laughs> she was the one who figured out that the uh, Romulans were sending the signal, right? So she's the one who got the information that That led was them- presented to Pike by Kirk? Or is that what you're talking about? That moment? Well, but it was presented to Kirk by Uhura. <laughs> I'm sorry. That does I mean, not chain track. Of command, no, <laughs> no, no, no. And I'm not even talking. That's not a hero moment. That's like she I, was there. She was standing there while Kirk had a hero moment. Okay. To me, I, I saw the hero moment being Uhura. So Kirk was the one who was like, I heard her say this thing, and now I'm hearing you say this thing, and it's all good. And it doesn't but- even count. I'm sorry. No, because what I'm talking about is that moment, and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you know movies where they focus on one character and like the music swells and there's like a cool shot behind them and they are a hero for that moment. Sulu gets that moment with his sword. You know, even Chekhov gets that moment when he's like trying to save everybody with the transport and he's running through the hallways. Those are hero moments. That is Uhura being like, Kirk's report is accurate. Okay, two things with that. <laughs> One, I know what you're saying, and you know that that may be true. That may be true. Maybe she didn't get her hero moment in that sense. Second thing that I will say is those hero moments, extremely forced and stupid, and none of them work. And the only one that I even remotely respond to as being a real thing, and the only one where when I'm sitting in the th- in the theater, I'm like, yeah, you go get them. Was Uhura's. Yeah, so even though me. even though the music didn't swell and she didn't get like one of those like uh, I always think of um, you ever see Serenity? I'm sure you have. Yes, um, and what okay. I'm thinking of is River in front of when the, the, the yeah. door opens and the, she's standing on top of the thing, and you're like, oh my axe. god. That is such a self-referential shot that looks like something right out of a comic book. That is yeah. the most beautiful shot ever. Why the frack is it in this movie? No, see, you know? for me, that kind of shot is when I like pump my fist. I'm like, woo, I love those. That's what you're supposed to do. For me, it was, you know, and I mean, I, I, I saw that movie with Max, the two of us sitting in the theater. That happens at an advanced screening. Everyone goes, woo, and we look at each other and we're like, that is the dumbest crap we've ever seen. Well, I guess we'll lives. just have to agree to disagree on that particular. Like to me, I was I love like, them. Yeah, Uhura, that was great. But like when when uh you know uh what's his name uh Chekhov is running through the hallways and doing this thing, I'm like, why is he running? When Sulu is is fighting is fighting the dudes on the the thing, I'm like. Why is he doing this? Why well, is he doing the acrobatics? <laughs> what what I really appreciate about the novelization for Star Trek 2009 is that uh, Chekhov, when they're falling, Chekhov's like, I can do that. And he, you know, swipes the transporter controls over to the panel that he's sitting at. Yeah. And he beams them from there. So he doesn't hmm. run through the hallways like an idiot. That makes and, more sense. And also, Sulu's big moment where he pulls out a sword. Why the hell does he have a collapsible katana when he's a fencing expert? No, he, you know, whatever. I mean, that to me is fine, you know, because he's supposed to be a sword fighter and, you know, whatever. If you're going to be fighting a, a, a Romulan on a, a, a satellite dish or something like that, 
you're going to want a katana because the fencing sword is not going to cut it. And, you know, I mean, there, you know, some people, I guess, might call it racist. But to me, there's nothing racist about paying homage to your heritage or whatnot. And also, like, I mean, why would you use any sword other than a katana? Because they're the best, right? Well, in the novelization, he takes it from a Romulan. That's dumb. He'd have his own katana. He'd have his own collection. Why would a Romulan have a katana? Yeah, it that, wasn't that a katana in sense. the novelization. Yeah, was... right. I'm not. I'm not buying that. You know, I liked what I originally thought was Sulu's hero moment, where he's like, "I'm gonna fly this ship," <laughs> and then it doesn't fly, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, yeah, okay, now I'm gonna fly this ship." Like that's how you do one of those hero moment things. Parking brake. You know, I mean, yeah, but, I just... okay, so. Do we want Uhura to have a, a moment like River on top of the pile of Reavers? I do. Like, do we want her to have a huge action moment? I, I, it doesn't necessarily need to be an action moment, but I just want, like... It, it's hard when she's just, she's a communications officer and a translator. Well, she here's the have, thing, like, and we haven't talked moment. about Into Darkness yet, but they right. almost did that in Into Darkness. They almost they did, They almost yes. gave her that moment, they were, and then they, they were undercut so close. it. And I was like, curses. <laughs> because it's not but, even so much like, okay, they all need one. Although that's one of my favorite things about that movie, to be honest, is like each one of them is, gets this moment. And I'm like, woo. Which apparently we just disagree about those moments in general, which is fine. But they don't give her one. Uhura's hero moment is way more rewarding to me than anyone else's because it at least feels like something that, you know, she did. Um, uh, which is related to her and not just something where it's like, we need to show how awesome they are and whatever. So that's that. So how about Into Darkness? There's more female characters in Into Darkness, Andy. You're trolling me right now. No, I'm not. You are 100% Why trolling Why don't you tell me about all the female characters in Into Darkness? Oh, my can we talk about something other than female characters? Do I get to talk about anything else? It's your thing. <laughs> I know what it did is. You, what did you What did you think about the movie in general? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 do that because a lot of people uh, uh, see it as a ripoff. It's horrible. Hmm. Harsh words. <laughs> well, okay. Any particular reason? I or? should I should clarify uh, my. It's horrible. I had very. I had. I wasn't super into the movie. From the beginning, basically, I just, for whatever reason, I I just don't think it works as well. Like, the things that I liked about 09 were basically the character moments. And, you know, I really liked how they paralleled Kirk and Spock in the first movie and, like, shown why these two guys would have such a friendship. Um, I really, I really love Spock in that first movie. But then coming into the second movie, I don't know, it just wasn't working nearly as well, but I wasn't, like, hating it or anything. I was just kind of clicking along. Um, and then you got to remember, too, that I had watched Wrath of Khan, like, I don't know, two weeks before this. So oh, yeah. that was fresh in my memory, and my emotional reaction to that movie was fresh in my memory. And there was this exact moment where I realized that they were about to do what they did. And it was like they they have Spock on the bridge and he kind of, oh my God, and he starts running down the hallway, again, running with the, ha with the hallway <laughs> running. And I'm just like, wait a second. 
Wait, no. They wouldn't do that. Would they do that? No, they wouldn't do that. And then, like, they they did the whole scene again. And I was like, what? Ah! Um, it really, really, really made me mad. Um, and I can't even exactly tell you well maybe I can tell you why uh, mostly it just felt like they're like how do we get Trekkies to really emotionally have this this be emotionally resonant with them we know we'll take the most heartbreaking moment in all of the original series everything and do it again and it just felt very manipulative it and it didn't work for whatever reason. It didn't work for me. I know that there are some people who found it very touching. But for me, I was just like, no. The whole time I was like screaming no to the, like, <laughs> the heavens. And, and so it made me really upset. And then like from that moment on, that just made me cynical about the entire ending. ending. So like from that moment on, nothing worked for me after that. Because I was so upset over the way they pulled this off and there's this moment where they gave spock the con line and i was like what that is no no okay no why poor zachary quinto he's so great i love zachary quinto and i love him his spock i really do but like that's a spock is a totally different character than kirk and quinto's a totally different actor than than William Shatner it's just like you put him in an impossible position nobody was going to be happy with that and he could have done something so effective which is basically Spock when he gets when Spock gets really upset he usually gets cold and like really really like icy calm but they kept having Spock have these moments where he gets super angry both in the first one and in the second one and at least in the first one I understood why he was getting so angry and why his control broke because, you know, his mom died and his planet was destroyed and you'd have to be a robot not to freak out about that. But this time I'm like, really? And I guess the reason that they they thought that this would work is because then we would feel how strongly Spock felt for Kirk and he puts Kirk on that level. But it just didn't work for me. And so the rest of the movie, I'm, like, watching Spock run around and, like, hit things. And I was just, like, no, no. And, um, yeah, so from that moment on, I was basically just seething. And the rest of the movie just made me angry. Especially since they undermine Kirk's death immediately. I mean, we had had a whole conversation with Mike getting angry that they undermined Spock's death. At least they took a whole movie to buy back Spock. They took, like... Five minutes and a magic tribble to like bring back Kirk and totally undermine that entire scene. Uh, terrible. So like the first three quarters of that movie, I was fine with it. I mean, I, it, I don't think it was particularly great, but I wouldn't say that it was bad in any way. But then like that, what, 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes ruined the whole movie for me. And now I think about it and I just get mad. Yeah, I had a similar reaction to the bringing Kirk back to life when I saw it in the theater. You know, at first I was like, are they going to do this? Are they actually going to kill him? I mean, that'd be a really bold move for this franchise to go down. But at the same time, I was like, well, the whole point of rebooting this was so that you can regain that dynamic. So to, you know, throw that away here in movie number two does not seem like something that they would do. 
So I knew that he was going to come back. I just knew it. But the difference that I see, and I don't like it, but the difference that I see between this and the Star Trek Three scenario, while, yes, we have an entire movie to bring back Spock in that case, here, at least it was part of the design of this movie. So good or bad, you can hang it on this movie. Whereas the Star Trek Three thing, one of the things that makes me very upset about it is you've got these people like Nicholas Meyer in there and they're busting their asses to make the best Star Trek that's ever been. And then, you know, the Star Trek Three crew come in and they're like, yeah, but, you know, Spock, so let's just uh, undo all that. And I, can, I see that. And yeah, I see and, what you're saying. I mean, it's not, it still doesn't. And, and Meyer is left just hanging there like, really, guys? Then, like, why did I even bother? You know? I mean, my, yeah, I'm simplifying things here, but, you know. My issues with playing off of the end of Wrath of Khan so heavily is that it it doesn't feel like they've earned it. I mean, because we had, you know, 80 episodes, the animated series, and, you know... uh a movie and an, and almost a whole second movie before we got to that point. We knew these characters. We knew these versions of these characters. And uh, it was emotionally resonant. And with this one, we barely know this Kirk. I mean, in all reality, Spock, because I'll argue that Spock is the main character of these, uh, we barely know Kirk. We barely know his motivations. We understand that it's kind of questionable why he would sacrifice himself, but it's not like... It's not like some grand gesture. It's just, oh, I gotta fix this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it, and, and then the whole Khan thing, like screaming Khan, it doesn't make any sense because Khan was also a pawn. Like it's Marcus. He should be screaming about RoboCop, not, not about, about Khan, because Marcus started it all. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 screaming of the con to me it's a little too on the nose it doesn't work. You know, that was I mean I was perfectly okay with them recreating the end of of Wrath of Khan and I think you know sort of you know mirroring that but flipping the roles and everything is uh really interesting, you know, for this story and and I think it's really effective. I think when, you know, he yells con that's just kind of like mm. You know, because even even in the original, you know, when he yells Khan, it's almost kind of a, you know, campy moment where people are like, yeah, look at him yelling Khan. I mean, there's literally. um, But he's also doing it to put on a show. Because he knows he hasn't been defeated. Yeah. I mean, who's who's putting on a show? Kirk. I guess. Because he knows that the Enterprise is going to come back around and pick him up. In but 20 he's, minutes, you he's know? still he's still really mad in that moment. You know, I mean, the, I the rage in his in his uh, his eyes, I think, is, you know, I don't know. He's, yeah, maybe. And see, to me, the most effective part of the first one is when is not the con moment at all, although I would say that's the most iconic. It's when Kirk is like looking through the glass and he just says, no like really brokenly and really sadly and like really quietly 
that to me is that is the most like I was already crying like a little girl at that point but like that was the moment was like uh, uh, like just completely lost it um and they didn't even yeah no I didn't get that and the worst part is is that I don't know about Chris Pine so much, though I think he's a perfectly good actor, but I'm sorry, Zachary Quinto is an excellent actor. You could have, he could have sold something, you know, but no, the whole thing doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. I can even, like, I even think switching them is kind of interesting and like you could have found some interesting stuff in there in a different way and I don't even know like a better way to execute that where I wouldn't have felt it was cheap and cynical. It didn't work, or at least it didn't work for me. Like, I I don't Mm -hmm. like ending a a perfectly fine movie-watching experience, like, pacing through my apartment and raging um, is not the way I like to end my movie experiences. So, uh, no, no to that. Now, uh, there's a point in Into Darkness where I literally took off my hat and, and I did throw it to the ground. (laughs) <laughs> did you stomp on it? I did not stomp on it, but I did literally throw my hat to the ground, and that was when uh, Quinto Spock calls up Nimoy Spock to get no information from him. What did you think about bringing Nimoy back to say, hey, Khan was a bad guy? Why would he even think that Nimoy knew Khan? To be fair, I saw this after Leonard Nimoy died. True. So, it was so good to I, see my him again. my res, my response is basically like, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> so that really had nothing to do with how I would think it works from a purely storytelling perspective. For me, it was just like there he was, and I was so excited to see him, and I didn't even really listen to their conversation. I was mostly just like being like, "I miss Leonard Nimoy." <laughs> so I don't know if I'm a good person to answer <laughs> that question. <laughs> See, I, I would disagree with them. there being no reason for it and them not getting any info out of it because, to me, even I, as a viewer, got information out of that conversation because um, at that point in the story, the, the events had been uh, going about in such a way that I was thinking that they might do a turn here and make it so that the movie ended with Khan and Kirk becoming allies. Like maybe I, I, I had that feeling too. That's maybe true. maybe they would not go just the Khan is bad, he's evil, and he's doing bad stuff route. Maybe they were gonna twist it and say like Khan is a victim of circumstance. And sure he's done some terrible things, but he's had just as many terrible things done to him. And now he, while maybe not a good guy, is going to team up with the quote-unquote good guys in order to take down the quote-unquote bad guys. And then at the end, they're just going to be like, you know what? I, I, uh, I was wronged, and this society is not for me, and I'm going to this planet over here, SETI Alpha 5, where I can just live my life doing my thing away from the rest of you because you all are crazy. And, you know, I was I was thinking that that might be what they were doing at that point. And then they call up Spock and Spock Prime, and uh, young Spock is like, hey, what's the deal with this guy? And old Spock is like, don't trust that dude because he is going to stab you in the back as soon as he can. 
And I'm like, okay, so they're not doing that. But I mean, that's the question that that young Spock had at that moment too, because he was suspicious, you know. And to me, it doesn't seem at all strange to think that he would know who Khan was, especially if we're going to, you know, work under the assumption that Khan is who he is and has the same history and all that stuff, and he was essentially Hitler. So people are going to know who he was, right? I mean, I mean they're, they're going to know. They're going to know who he was. So, I mean, that's not, that's not a weird thing to me. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, they've already talked about in the first movie how the timeline is going to correct itself and things are going to, you know, happen that happened before and all this other stuff that doesn't make any sense. So I, I think it's perfectly valid for young Spock to throw a Hail Mary to old Spock and see, you know, what happens. It, unless, like, old Spock was, like, the fourth person he called. Maybe that. Why? But then he's just like, oh, oh, so how did you beat him before? Okay, so they beat him because Khan doesn't uh, use three-dimensional thinking when no. when they're in a nebula. No. That's how they beat him. See, and and all they do to beat him this time is to be like, oh, we'll replace his uh, frozen friends with actual bombs and beam them over to his ship. No. Sp- there's nothing that Prime Spock did that affected the movie in any way. You're thinking about it way too literally. You know, he's not like, how did you beat him before? And then Spock like takes out a like a dry erase board and starts like <laughs> drawing X's and O's. You know, he's like, how did you beat him before, like, philosophically, you know? Like, what is it? What is the mindset that you need to be in to beat this guy? And I can see old Spock saying, like, you need to start thinking like he's thinking and know where his weaknesses are in terms of his logic. And, you but know... But that's how you beat anybody. Fine. You don't need to... <laughs> you don't... Fine, but... That's the Vulcan way. That's how you would beat anybody as a Vulcan. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But, you know, to me, it's like Khan is super smart, right? He's got weaknesses. Old Spock may have seen weaknesses that young Spock hasn't seen yet. You know? I didn't so much have a problem with them bringing back Khan, although I don't know why he was inexplicably white, but... I didn't have so much of a problem with them bringing back Khan because I thought that could be kind of interesting because and here here's where like I was spoiled in the fact that I knew he was Khan. So like it wasn't like it was a big reveal for me or anything. I mean, this is the Internet age. I could not avoid it, but it could have been cool to show that what went down with Khan and Kirk before was because of circumstance. Yep. Like they had an understandable conflict both times. Um, and whereas in this universe, Kirk and Khan have never met each other. They don't necessarily need to be in conflict. It would have been kind of cool to have it like be like, okay, Khan wasn't necessarily irredeemably evil. Circumstances put him in a point to a point where he did evil things. And then like switch that to like, okay, now that he's in new circumstances, he reacts differently. But instead, they just kind of made him cartoonishly evil, and that to me is boring. Um, and then plus, Benedict Cumberbatch just seeing how low he he could get his voice and how slow he could talk, and I was supposed to be I don't know terrified or something. That just well, no, no, all no. of that didn't work for me. That was for the IMAX. I saw uh, it in IMAX, and like when he there were some lines that he said that shook the seats. It was like whoa, <laughs> okay. 
I mean, you think your world is safe? Yeah, it's like whoa. (laughs) I I thought Cumberbatch was awesome. You know, I had no no problem with with his performance. I thought it was great. You know, nah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that that guy. Yeah, he's 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 pretty badass. Yeah, he's a good actor, and his voice is awesome. I just felt like it was all very very overdone. I mean, I guess so, but when you're following up uh, with a character who was originated by Ricardo Montalban, I mean, how big is too big? I don't think that exists. I don't think there's a scale there for. There uh, wasn't enough. There weren't enough pecs. <laughs> I guess so. For my taste to yeah. to replace Ricardo. Yeah. I don't know. I just. Yeah, no, I don't like that movie. Well, I don't before- like it. Uh, before we finish up, do you want to touch on Carol Marcus at all? Um, I'd rather just pretend that she didn't happen um, because I'm really sad about it because or, the original movie, Carrie Mar- Carol Marcus, was so awesome and so badass. And then in this movie, they just undermine her at every possible point. The only reason she's important is because she's the daughter of the antagonist and... I don't know. Apparently, she feels like getting undressed all the time, and I, I just I don't understand. One time, one time, and there okay. was a reason how, for how it. How how many whatever. how how many minutes do you think she was on screen in that movie? Uh, she she had a bigger role than Uhura, right? I know, and that is a problem too. Why? But because she's she's not part of the crew. Well, why can't she be? She well, if they, the if the they wanted to make her a part of a crew, then we could talk about that in a different way. But she's not, and apparently they're just going to drop her again. I mean, well, that actually there's evidence to suggest that that might not be true. But I there's an article today true. that says that yeah. she doesn't know if she's in the movie. She says she doesn't know, but she thinks they're going in an interesting direction. I mean, she knows what's going on with the movie, which means they're probably keeping it a secret. But she is going to. Well, show up. I really hope they don't just make her disappear in the way that they made her disappear in the original movies. Well, but I agree with it's that just, too. It's just frustrating because in the in in Wrath of Khan, she's a scientist and she's a badass and she's on equal footing with Kirk. And I just, I love that version of Carol Marcus. And this Carol Marcus could have been that and they just undercut her in a very large way. And I wanted her to be awesome and she gets she gets more hero moments than than uhura does like she disarms a bomb and saves mccoy like that's awesome but i don't have potential wasted to me to me it makes sense that she would have more hero moments than uhura and more whatever than uhura because she's a character who was added to this story for story purposes whereas uhura is a box which needs to be checked you know, so yeah, you're gonna give. I just her wish something it didn't have to be Uhura versus Carol Marcus. It, it is an Uhura but, versus Carol. Except Marcus. for you, you brought up Uhura. I'm just saying that like, you're you like you could have brought up have... Chekhov, you could have okay. brought up Sulu, but you brought up Uhura specifically. It's Fair. like why do I have to? Fair to, enough, to but be like I mean, this we, we female were, character versus this well, female we, we character. Were, we Why can't they both about, be awesome? Fair enough, but we were talking about you know the fact that this female character is you know she's one of the few female characters and she's she doesn't have anything to do or whatever. And it's well, like, I well, think she she has stuff to do. I just don't think it's executed great. Okay. Like for instance, I thought it was cool that she went up against her dad, but then it was like, never mind, Carol. Bye. Like. 
they undercut her there too it's like she has this awesome speech and she's trying to get through to her dad and he like listens to her pats her on the head and then just like beams her over it's exactly like what they did with Uhura where they're like she's gonna speak Klingon and she's gonna walk out she's like this is why you brought me let me do it and then she goes out there and they're like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay never mind Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch is gonna come in from nowhere and suddenly kill hundreds of Klingons by himself Woo. It's it's like they they set it up and then they don't let them fulfill it and it's it's almost more annoying than if they just didn't set it up at all cuz they set them up and then they have them fail. I don't know. I guess I never rant, really rant, saw rant. It. I guess I never really saw it as failure just, you know, sort of like a complication of of, you know, action or or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like she does. Yeah, speak I to mean, the I, I don't think it's Uhura's fault or anything. It's just like, how cool would it have been if she had succeeded in that mission? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, then you, I would have no problems. Then I'd be like, cool, she did something. I can point to a scene and be like, Uhura did something, and it mattered. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but they <laughs> set it up, and then they knock it down. And when I was live tweeting it, I'm like, okay, Uhura's doing something. And I think I even hashtagged it as cautiously optimistic. And then I was like, <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Just like, dang it. Like, it's so awesome that they have her be fluent in all these languages and she's clearly very capable. And then she's just, nah. Anyways, sorry. No, no, no. That's why we bring you on. Yeah. Mm, to rant. I'm just Great. sitting here grinning. I love it. <laughs> So, all right, both of these movies—they're the two that exist—and uh, what what are your what are your thoughts on them uh, as as overall? Like a, yeah, overall. The the first one is a perfectly fun, decent movie that I like and would rewatch and enjoyed. Um, I don't think it hits the heights of some of the best Star Trek movies, but I don't. I think that's a pretty high bar. I'd say most of them don't hit those heights. If what I'm hearing from about the TNG movies is true, they don't. Those ones don't hit it either. So I, I don't think I would probably place it. Like if if you had to have me rate all of the movies I've seen so far, Wrath of Khan and um, Search for Spock and. Voyage Home and Undiscovered Country for me are all like right up there and then everything else is just a little bit below and then for me Into Darkness is just at the bottom of that pile with Star Trek 5. Um it's not like they're irredeemably bad or not watchable. I think they're both very watchable movies. I just when they're when they're put next to the other movies, they're not nearly as fun to watch and at, at least the other movies didn't make me rage in my home and shake my fist at the sky. So into darkness has to be at the bottom of the pile for that. Fair enough. All right. I I'm excited for, to see what, where they go. I don't think, I think they, this is, this is the frustrating part is I think they have all of the elements, the casting. We haven't really talked about it, but the casting is pretty perfect. I would say mm -hmm. that they don't really nail Chekhov, but I think that that's more to do with the fact that they don't really give him Chekhov lines I mean, he hasn't mentioned Russia once. That's a failure. <laughs> um, but, like, the casting is great. Uh, uh, like, uh, for uh, when, I, when I finished up Into Darkness, I was looking back. I'm like, every single moment that really worked for me was McCoy-related. Like, 
Carl Urban's awesome. Zachary Quinto's awesome. Chris Pine is fine. Like, the the casting is good. So they have the characters there, and I am optimistic that they can pull off a really awesome movie, and I'm hoping that this next one is just going to blow our minds. Aren't we all? Now, let, let's pretend that, that Justin Lin is out there listening to, to this episode when it comes out. What what would you tell him? What do you want out of out of Star Threek? Star Threek is that what he called it? Yeah, you, you replace the E with a with a three. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, don't call it Star Threek. How's that? <laughs> I I would that was our with name that, for but it. whatever. All right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean just the the most important thing for for an ensemble movie like this and for an action movie that is supposed to be about bigger things is balance make sure that your characters are balanced make sure that the action and the characterization and the i guess philosophy of star trek are all balanced and that is a tall order and good luck cool all right well well thank you for joining us yeah, for uh for one more look at at the original series uh, hope you're having fun with Deep Space Nine. I am uh, in immense amounts of fun. All right. So where can people find you on the internet? Easiest place is Twitter at First Time Trek. You can also check out my podcast, Women at Warp, also on Trek FM. Um, and we have a website, womenatwarp.com, where you can go to find out everything to do with that show. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us. We don't appreciate it. Never. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we're welcome back anytime. Thanks. Well, that was great having Andy on again. I always enjoy it when she's on and ranting. So, <laughs> but uh, that's not the only topic we've been talking about on Track of Him this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. So now we're going to have to spend like a half an hour talking about these Star Trek comics when I could be reading Star Wars comics. Yes. I hope the listeners appreciate the <laughs> sacrifices that we're making to bring this moderately entertaining podcast to them. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. <laughs> I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. Also, the original title of this episode was A Matter of Breeding, which when we talk about things feeling TNG-ish, that could have been a Riker episode. (laughs) (laughs) The Ready Room. It's about people and feelings and emotions. It's about philosophy. It's about the future. It's about hope. It's about glory. It's about intellectual promise. That's what Axanar is about. It is not a story about pew, pew, pew. I promise you that. To the journey! Well, you telling me that I need to make love to this alien woman or she's going to die? Well, <laughs> for king and country, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, only on Star Trek. Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that future guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. But you would never pick up on that 
based on the way that it plays out, aside from the fact that they explicitly tell you in the dialogue, (laughs) you know? The 602 Club. The prequels are the most autobiographical uh, works that Lucas has done. Because if you follow Anakin's arc, he comes onto the scene, nobody's seeing him coming, and then he's a wonderkind, but he doesn't know what to do with it, and he's overwhelmed and feels a bit trapped. Literary treks. Deep Space Nine, among all the Star Trek series, is the one that really, over time, and I'm talking about now on the television series, not just in the books, changed the most. Axanar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that but it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back in my opinion women at warp my absolute favorite thing about this episode is that this is a love potion only if it's between a man and a woman they make it explicitly clear that if you touch two men or two women they just become really good friends And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, or you can just stream from the website. Visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. If you'd like to contact us, share your thoughts on today's show, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab in the left-hand column of any page that sends the voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you'll find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter under username trekfm. You can find Mike on Twitter at mumbles3k or at comtrackstars. And you can find him on commentarytrackstars.com where he does an off-topic show. And you can find him on Commentary Trek Stars right here on Trek FM. You can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and on various other places around the internet. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of those famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive and Federation, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. We'd also like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. and Renee Roberts for being our associate producers this week by supporting us on Patreon. You can find Richard on Twitter at RUT8972 and Renee at MRES underscore 1701. And if you want to join them helping keep us in orbit, you can also support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer on our shows. If you go to the website, you'll also find out where the donations can go, to things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. 
Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew.